listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab podcast. I have a very special guest here. I have the 43rd treasurer of the United States, Rosie Rios. Rosie, in one line, give me your name, your title, and the name of your fund or the name of your project. Excellent. Thank you, Barbara. Great to be here. My name is Rosie Rios. I am the co-host of Unicorn Hunters, which is a reality series that provides opportunities for both founders to access capital and also retail investors to invest in pre-IPO opportunities. Wonderful. So what inspired you to become an investor and and become a unicorn hunter? My whole background has been in real estate finance. And prior Mm -hmm. to joining the Obama administration as part of the Treasury Transition Team of 2008, I was managing director of investments for a $22 billion firm based in San Francisco. So it's always been my interest. And the beauty of what I do now with Unicorn Hunters is it comes full circle 10 years later. So back Mm -hmm. in 2011, in the Department of the Treasury, we hosted an access to capital conference, specifically to address the lack of IPOs during that time, of course, the financial crisis. And that conference led to the formation of a task force who would eventually make the recommendations to Congress for the Jobs Act of 2012, the Jumpstart Mm -hmm. Our Business Startups Act. And and, and those provisions, specifically the crowdfunding provisions from the Jobs Act is what led to a show like Unicorn Hunters to become a reality. That's awesome. We'll get more. So full circle. It comes full circle. Yeah, we'll get back. We'll get into the Jobs Act a little bit in the the last question because I I have some questions on that. So what is your investment thesis and kind of the motivation behind your thesis? I think I think my investment thesis in general is how do we democratize access to wealth across the board? Mm -hmm. And specifically for me, I'm very interested in making sure that we pursue more opportunities for female founders and and people of color. That has always been an interest of mine. Probably the articles that came out recently about the $150 billion that was invested by VCs in 2020. And of that, only 2.2% went to, to women. And unfortunately, that's less than the previous year of 2.6% going to women. Mm -hmm. So we're not going in the right direction at all. And then when you add in communities of color, I keep saying for women, it's a glass ceiling for for communities of color. It's a glass wall. We're Mm -hmm. not even in the room, much less the building. And we're hardly a rounding error when you look at the numbers. 100%. 100%. It's really sad. So Rosie, you have a lot of experience with the Jobs Act. 
How do you see that? Maybe I'm going to do the bonus question ahead of time. How do you see that evolving venture capital? It's been out for about 10 years now, almost 10 years. Some people have been very successful crowdfunding, some people less. How do you see the JOBS Act having an impact in the next five years or even does it need to evolve any? Yeah, I think the JOBS Act, I mean, certainly, again, when it was passed in 2012, there were certainly a lot of provisions that needed to be reviewed by the SEC and ultimately ruled on, including mm-hmm. the crowd uh, the crowdfunding provisions. Yeah. So, so you know, even up until this last fall, the SEC was still working on those. So I, I think oh, wow. it is going to be an evolving effort. There is some talk out there. Should there be another JOBS Act 2.0? Should mm-hmm. there be a little bit more thought towards uh, specific constituencies to make sure that this participation is open to everyone. As you and I know, it's a very close system, this world of IPOs, this world of, 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 of venture, venture capital. capital. So how do, what is the government's role specifically to facilitate more of those jobs, opportunity, and equity components that I think are really needed, especially now more than ever, post-pandemic economic recovery? 100%. So what are you currently learning or listening to or reading these days? I, whenever I, I travel, I, I usually try to get, I always read the newspaper of the city that I'm visiting just to get the local cool. flavor. But the last, when I was in the airport recently, I actually grabbed Mark Carney's book and it's value <laughs> and then S is in a parentheses. And I started reading it. And basically, as you probably know, Mark Carney was the governor of the Bank of England. He's also the governor of the Bank of Canada. He's currently leading ESG activities at Brookfield, and he has a very long rate past, starting, I think, with Goldman Sachs. So his book is really taking kind of the two-dimensional world of capital and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of the value of capital and taking it into what I call the third dimension of the human aspects of capital, mm-hmm. which I think are really yeah. interesting, how that translates into what we can do to use capital, conscious capital, is basically the mm-hmm. way I, I take away, this was my takeaway from the book. Uh, again, I'm still at the, the beginning stages, but it's really, he has a very interesting perspective, obviously a very cosmopolitan view of the world with okay. very few people out there who get to be the head, the, the head kind of two different central banks from two mm-hmm. different countries. I'm sure he's not done, but it is, again, he has a very different and interesting perspective to weave it all together. Very interesting. I'm not going to ask the bonus question yet. I'm going to get it there, but... <laughs> I had a question for you. I saw in your background that you are on the board of Ripple. Yes, and that's I just a crypto. That's I just a crypto. Yes, that's a cryptocurrency. Yeah. So, how do you see? I've actually worked with a company that's working on central bank digital currencies. How do you see cryptocurrency coming into play into a U.S. economy? Yeah. First of all, it's already in play in the U.S. So, you know, the interesting thing about anything that's innovative, like digital currency, like crypto, is that it it usually leads. It doesn't follow. Right. Government is the one Mm -hmm. that usually follows, not leads. And so the utility of how crypto is being applied is very different. Right. For some people, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's really more of, of a store of value. It's more of a commodity for XRP, which is Ripple's crypto. It's. The reason why I chose to join this board is it's the only one that really has an applied use, right? So it facilitates cross-border payments. Mm -hmm. And so it it serves a a very kind of practical function. It's used by financial institutions around the world. And so I, I see it as a great way to think about the next, you know, the evolution of money, Right. But in this case, again, how do we have something that, that isn't just a market value? It actually has 
it actually serves its purpose. And again, in this case, for those cross-border payments, it's made a huge difference in that world. That's great. So let me ask you this one. How do you see cryptocurrency potentially helping with the wealth gap or some of these gaps we talked about earlier, funding gaps even? Do you see that uh, playing into that at all? As an investment or as a service? So I think, look, anything that provides people options on Mm -hmm. access to to money, access to managing their money, access to different types of investments, I think is a good thing. As mm-hmm. long as there's a path, as long as there are a, a, a kind of a roadmap, if you will, and, and investor protections, then, then we're, I don't think anyone's in a position to stop innovation or stop creativity or stop job creation. But how do you start what I think is a much needed conversation mm-hmm. about, about, again, how to have these options available and have people protected at the same time. So, yes. so this is a delicate yes. balance that I'm sure many parts of the federal government are going to tackle and are tackling and have been thinking about for a while. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. And I think they have the right people in place. I mean, I've known Gary Gensler for a long time, obviously the chair of the SEC, and I think he's the right person to start that conversation. That's good. That's good. to That gives us comfort in the blockchain crypto space. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, here it comes. The famous bonus question. Everyone gets it. In two years, when we're talking, how do you see investing in venture capital or basically access to capital as well evolving or changing? Yeah, I think it'll constantly change. The only Mm -hmm. thing that's constant is change. So you would have asked me that question two years ago. Let's Mm -hmm. go back two years ago. Would you have thought that someone like a Robin Hood would come out of thin air and take on the Google wallets and the Apple pays and the fidelities and the, and the Schwabs. Would you have thought that someone like that would be a leader in financial services, in investing in pre IPO investing? This is, it's crazy what's happening right now. And I think it's all a hell part of, uh, again, evolving to meet the customer's needs. The reason why Robinhood is doing so well is that they, they resonate with this next generation of of kind of owning your kind of your managing your money, being able to Mm -hmm. manage your money and putting and and applying it in ways that perhaps traditional systems wouldn't allow. And that's what this next generation wants to see. They want the optionality. They want the functionality. They want easy access. And Robinhood has responded. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So tell me a little bit about Unicorn Hunters and tell me about the show and like how does someone potentially become a unicorn hunter or become hunted by the unicorn. The show is really such a a wonderful experience. As I mentioned earlier, it comes full circle for me for something Mm -hmm. that started 10 years ago when I was in treasury, but also the thought of being part of a wonderful set of panelists that includes Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple, that includes Lance Bass from NSYNC, who's actually also a very savvy investor. And then my other co it's really for me a once in a lifetime opportunity when my friend Mo Vela asked me to participate. And he's one of the executive producers of the show. He's also a former colleague of mine from the Obama Mm -hmm. administration. I I thought about it at first thinking, good God, I I don't like TV. I don't like anything really about (laughs) TV. But if you think about it, really, this is where do you really get to see a lot of smart dialogue out there and specifically about investments. And again, it's just a, a good kind of intersection between kind of something creative something that's entertaining, but also very practical. And so 
to be for, for these companies and these founders come onto the show. We mm-hmm. did about, I think, six episodes in, in season one. These founders come on the show and they want to be unicorns, right? So they want to be right. million dollar companies. And they're looking yes. for their next round of funding, somewhere around 20 to $70 million or so. Okay. And they're usually seasoned uh, and experienced CEOs. And we had the former head of Pfizer Europe. We have other, again, very experienced people who are, are pursuing their passion. Mm-hmm. And so they get to come on the show. They make their pitch. We ask a lot of questions and then we discuss it among ourselves. And then we as panelists decide whether or not we would personally invest. And then the audience has the opportunity to also invest. So we always recommend that they go, yeah, that they go on the website, that they look at all the information that's posted, you know, the private Mm -hmm. place memorandum, the prospectus, all the financials, et cetera, additional information that's provided. And even as you're watching the show, they have these great kind of pop-up text boxes that Mm -hmm. explain acronyms or any of the terms that the public may not be aware of. So it's, again, even if you don't invest, it's fabulous to even learn as you go along Mm -hmm. and and really understand the process of what people go through as they think about their own investment activity. Wow. That's really powerful. I think that's, it's not like the other show. I won't say that one out loud, but it's not like the other show. It it seems more educational. And it also sounds like the founder has more of an opportunity to present themselves. It's not like a speed round thing. That's right. We're not just looking for the next cool backpack. These are kind of global impact ideas. These are cancer treatments. These are allergy precursors for, Mm -hmm. to help people who might develop allergies. And so it's really, again, these are people who've been in the industry for a long time and who are pursuing their own kind of journey of what they believe in and what they've had experience in. And so to meet these people is is really wonderful because you're not just investing in the company, you're investing in the people behind the company. And so to be able to meet them personally, to be able to know what drives them has been just really fulfilling across the board. That's wonderful. Rosie, how do people get into contact with you? (laughs) <laughs> with me. I'm not a huge social media fan, but I actually have been using Twitter, one, for the show, and two, I, it, it's been phenomenal, just some of the feedback that that we've received uh, about the show, about my other personal passions. You, I don't know if or not, but I'm the one who initiated and led the effort to put the portrait of uh, a woman on our Federal Reserve notes for the oh, first time wonderful. in our nation's history. And so I uh, yeah, from that process that I started back in 2008, you know, I became what I what I call an accidental educator, an accidental historian, an accidental feminist. And I'm able to amplify the work that I'm doing on the educational side and also some of my special projects. And so whenever I tweet about it, it's amazing the positive response that comes back from that. So I, I do feel like I have this obligation to continue to do what I'm doing, using my voice for good when I can, yes. and also see what I can do to try to find more female founders and people of color as future participants in the show. That's wonderful. So Rosie, I want to thank you so much. Rosie Rios from the Unicorn Hunters. (laughs) Watch it. It's coming up (laughs) for being our guest on the Female VC Lab podcast. Thank you. This was fun. You're you're a great interviewer. This is really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion dollar emerging tech company. 
Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailin t-r-a-i-l-y-n dot com to find out more. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening.